Thank you, Jesus. Don't have to stop on my account. I kind of, I kind of like it. And uh, great to be with you this morning and uh, in the presence of God. And uh, I'm like David. He said, "I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord.'" There's nothing like the presence of God. And uh, how many know the presence of God isn't a feeling, isn't a goosebump, isn't being slain in the spirit, but the presence of God is actually a person. His name is Jesus, and uh, he's here this morning. I know that he's here because I brought him with me, uh, and I hope you brought him with you as well. And uh, he is the friend that's closer than any brother, and uh, he's beautiful, isn't he? I, um, I want to thank everybody for being gracious to me. I was supposed to speak last Sunday. I had uh, four root canals this week to uh, take care of an abscess, and infection uh, in my jaw. I'm looking pretty good, ain't I, for, for all that? Um, and so um, you wouldn't have wanted to hear me last week. I look kind of like a bone of pumpkin. So thanks, Alan, for covering for me and preaching a great message uh, on the church. Um, but, but I find myself as a doer, a goer, a preacher, a, a guy who loves my job, uh, really resisting something called rest. And uh, I'm not saying the Lord gave me an abscess. That's not his nature. I'm not saying he gave me an infection. That's not his nature at all. I'm not uh, doing that. But he, he will use what the enemy meant for evil and work it together for my good. He, he will do something to say, you know what? Um, I know this is what you're comfortable with and you're used to speaking and prophesying. And now you just get to be silent. My, my nature is if I can't talk to you, I'll, I'll text you a prophecy. Like I am, I'm not going to like the, the enemy's not going to steal my voice and infections. But it was like the, the Lord was saying, why are you resisting a gift? And, and maybe that sounds unusual for a prophet to say that I was actually resisting a prophetic gift or resisting a prophecy to myself from the Lord, which is rest. And so sometimes the Bible says this in Job Uh, 33 around verse 13 or 14. Uh, It says the Lord speaks to us one way and then another in the night season. He gives us a dream, seals it in our ear. And so Wednesday I had all of this procedure done. I, I fell asleep on the couch. It was an amazing sleep. One of those sleeps that you fall asleep and you don't remember going to sleep. It just happened. And when you wake up, you don't know what day it is. You don't know who you are and you don't know where you are. You just know that it was really good. And so I fell asleep. I don't know what time I fell asleep. I was watching something on the cooking channel because I couldn't eat. So at least my eyes were eating. Um, and and, and, and you know, I maybe had a little lust of the flesh going on on a T-bone or something. But it was, you know, I was looking and I fell asleep. And, and all of a sudden in this, the Lord gives me a dream. And in the dream, I see myself with my head laying in the lap of Jesus and he's stroking these amazing locks. It didn't have all the hairspray in it that day because it was just, you know, post-surgery stuff. And, and he was just like, I was a little boy in his lap. And he said, you know, son, rest, restoration begins with rest. And then the dog licked my face and the visitation ended. I wanted to cast the dog out the demon and the demon out the dog. How, how many know what I'm talking about? But, but he got the revelation to me before I woke up is that I believe this, that, that God wants to bring us to that place of resting in his faithfulness, resting on his promises. I, I am not fighting for the promises of God. I am a willing recipient of them. And there is this mindset that we have to, everything is, is toil and, and striving and working towards when actually I think the thing, especially if you're givers, and I know a lot of you in this church, you are tremendous, generous givers. And there is something that is, it's easy for us to do this, but not so easy for us to do this. And I'm just telling you what you've sown into nations, nations are about to sow into you. What you have, have faithfully given out, God is about to, to give out, to pour out back to us. But, but I just hear these words today, don't resist him. And I find myself sometimes resisting him when he doesn't come like I'm used to him coming. Some, sometimes I don't recognize, sometimes I'm like Israel 2,000 years ago. He, he's right with me, he steps right into my room and I don't recognize him. Can I tell you something? Don't be surprised if Jesus starts coming to us a little bit of a different way. 
Because you can't come to the end of him. I will tell you this. Restoration begins with rest. But you will never have full restoration without revelation. You have to get a revelation of who he is. A revelation of what he wants for you. And uh, sometimes, you know, the Lord brings us into that place uh, of, of, of making us feel uncomfortable. My, uh, this week, I had to cancel a trip to Panama. I was supposed to be at the inauguration of a president uh, in Panama that I prophesied to eight years ago and canceled some meetings because of, of this. Uh, and um, I missed family vacation. My family's coming back from Pensacola uh, today because of this. And uh, the week I've had was a gift, but I would tell you the first three days were, were pretty miserable um, because not just because of the pain and discomfort is it was this whole place of, of deprogramming myself of always having to do something. And then the Lord just whispered these words. He said, I didn't just choose you, but I want you. And then, then I realized something. He didn't just choose me for my gift. He wants me for my person. He doesn't want anything from me. He just wants me. And when you get that revelation, man, peace just begins to blow your mind. He said these words to me just a few short months ago. He, he, said, uh, he said these words, I want you to learn how to outpiece the enemy. And there is a gift and a grace dropping in the room right now of his perfect peace in every part of your process. To outpiece the enemy. Peace is power. It's more than a feeling. It is this, this power that in the midst of the storms in my life, around my life, I'm in perfect peace. Because the Prince of Peace possesses me. And the storms, around, storms all around have to go around me. And I'm just telling you right now that there's something dropping in the room. There are nuggets dropping in the room. I think it is important to know what God is doing in the earth today. Would you agree with that? I have these conversations with God. To me, prophecy is conversational. He normally initiates it, but sometimes I initiate the process with a question. I love the fact that he likes my questions. He, he likes the silly questions I ask. He, he likes that I ask him things that he won't tell me the answer for, but I keep asking anyway. Just to see. I, I am a novice. I am an amateur in the new thing more than a professional in the old thing. There, there, there's something about me that wants to stay childlike, although I don't want to be childish. There's something in me that just says, God, I want to ask you things. And, and so I was flying in, in March. I just ministered at SOSL and I was flying to Australia and in air somewhere over the Pacific. I, I asked the Lord a simple question. Lord, what are you doing in the earth today? I was expecting like, you know, I almost had it pre-written about signs and wonders and, and, you know, all of these great things. And then this is what he said. He said, I am restoring the innocence. I'm restoring the innocence of a generation that has been bombarded. I am restoring an innocence that, uh, that, that has been stolen from generations uh, and, and, you know, it was an amazing thing. And I think I dozed off and went into a conference that um, Sarah Morgan was there and, uh, and uh, Mary Forsyth and, and Graham Cook were there. We were doing like these TED Talk things on, in the afternoon session of a conference where we each had 15 minutes. Now, that's pretty miraculous. Watch me say anything in 15 minutes. Um, and they put me last, I think, on purpose. And they put a big old clock right in front of me. And I kept pre- trying to preach around it, but... Um, but sometimes being prophetic, you've got to find the thread. You've got to find what God is saying through what everybody else is saying. And would you believe that there is all of this reference to innocence? And so I started sharing what God spoke to me on the airplane. And, and then uh, the Lord said these words to me right as I was, I was saying it. I, I get a lot of revelation just right on the spot. And rehearsing, he said, um, he said, son, I didn't just find you not guilty. I found you innocent. To, to find me not guilty means there's just not enough evidence to convict. But to find me innocent, I wasn't even in the county when the thing happened. It's as far as the east is from the west that he separated my transgression. He, he found me innocent. Uh, 
through the blood of Jesus. Aren't you thankful for the blood of Jesus? Aren't you thankful for communion that we just, we remember, I remember what I was. Then I found out who he was. And there's nothing more powerful than the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus. I'm telling you, it still works, hasn't lost its power. It's, it's still flowing in our, in our veins and over us today. It's an amazing. It never gets old. The grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God. The, the day that gets old, just, just hang up. You know, the, 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 just hang up your, your Christian walk and just ask him to take you home. But I remember where he found me. I don't know where he found you. But I remember the day. I remember when he walked in the room. I remember what he said to me. I remember how he forgave me. I remember feeling love for the first time. I'm telling you, sometimes we advance and we forget. That's why communion is so powerful. Going back to the place of, of remembering. I think it's good to remember. And, um, and so I, I got to say those things. And then the Lord said these words. He said, I want you to start redeeming words that have been stolen. And he said, the first word I want you to redeem today is the word naive. I used to think naive meant not street smart. You don't have a clue about what's happening in the world. You don't understand the sometimes maybe even a little stupid or and then I found out what it means. Here's what naive really means. That you are so pure hearted and innocent, you don't even understand the dirty joke. You are so pure hearted and innocent, you don't even understand the perverted talk and the, and the thing that's flashing before your eyes because you are just clothed in innocence. Some of you right now, innocence is being restored. I know we say sometimes you can't unsee things. Can I, can I tell you something? God could wash your eyes, change the movie, take those things that were on the cutting room floor and all of a sudden, man, I just see things through the presence of God. Somebody's getting healed this morning. Somebody's getting restored this morning. Jesus, the Redeemer, is in the room re redeeming time today. Uh, I, um, I want to forewarn you that uh, the, the message I have for you is a little different. Uh, I will be vulnerable, transparent, like I always am. Um, I'm going to share some stories that nobody's ever heard before. Um, and and um, it may make you a little uncomfortable. But I need the room to be like Planet Fitness. A no judgment zone. Uh, and, you know, I joined Planet Fitness five years ago. I've been there three times. And I don't judge them for taking my $21.95 a month. They don't judge me for not showing up. It's just this amazing mutual agreement. And um, uh, sometimes the, we think of the prophetic as always being futuristic. And I like the futuristic part of prophecy, don't you? The points we do a hope and a future, all of those things. But this morning I woke up and the, the Lord just said these words. I'm going to release a prophetic anointing on you to actually bring people back. Not back into your past, not into your junk, into your, into your garbage, but, but, but actually back into that place where he found you. Back into that place of first love. If I could say body wide throughout the church of Jesus Christ and the earth. If there is one thing that I really believe he's doing is he's bringing the church back to our first love. Bringing us back to him, bringing us back to the place where we begin to cry out, didn't our hearts burn within us when we heard the words? Didn't my heart burn within me when I heard the words of life for the first time? Didn't my heart burn within me when he spoke to me for the first time, when he began to, to move. And I believe today, some of us, God is bringing us back. In that process, some of you may encounter an unhealed place. I give you permission to be completely healed and whole today. Um, a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, I was in the Netherlands and 
God was moving, ministered to 150 pastors and then a school of supernatural and then an outreach night and then spoke in a, a church on Sunday morning and we saw 55 people give their lives to Jesus on a Sunday morning in the Netherlands. It was pretty, pretty astounding, pretty amazing. And um, I really loved it. It was, it was a great time. But in that trip, um, I, I got to spend a little time with a couple named Chester and Betsy Kilstra who uh, really founded uh, Restoring the Foundations, RTF. And, and so we had dinner, and then they RTF'd me. <laughs> like, I, I just agreed to dinner. But when they, and they said, well, let's go up to the office, I was like, oh, no, I felt like going to the principal's office. I, I repented of sins that I never even thought of committing, just in case. And, um, you know, I was like, closing the open doors, you know, I'm like, I'm good, you're good, we're all good, and we can, you know, we can do all this stuff. And then I sat down and they took out their paper and they started writing before I even say anything. Uh, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be a long one. And, uh, and after sobs and, and, and weep, uh, this freedom came in about three hours. It's why I'm able to share what I'm about to share with you today. Uh, so there's tears, but I, I need you to see the tears through a healed place, through a whole place, through a very grateful place. I, I am tender. I don't apologize for it. Um, uh, there were years that I, um, did not cry until a prophet turned around and spoke to me in a meeting, pointed his finger at me and said, God's unlocking your emotions. And I began to feel for the first time in, in, in decades and, and tears began to flow and, and God just healed me to the core. And, uh, so I don't, I don't, uh, uh, apologize for the tears. And sometimes I feel like they're not even my tears. They're actually the Lord's tears. Um, and uh, he, he is a sensitive God, isn't he? he? He is amazing. I love the way that uh, he's kind and gentle. I also love the way that he doesn't relent in getting us to change. I like to say he won't make me do anything, but he might make me miserable till I do. Uh, and um, you might want to argue that theology, but it's just my experience. You can have your own experience. I would prefer that you actually do have your own experience where you don't resist, but I can be a little bit stubborn. Uh, I want to say this to the church. Um, Wherever the presence of God is, shame can't exist. It's Adam and Eve in the garden. The Lord said, where are you? Apple watches are talking. They're being prophetic. Something's happening. Um, And and he walks into the garden. The Lord's in the garden. He said, where are you? He said, we're hiding over here. And he just asked them a question. Who told you you were naked? They'd known the presence of God and there was no shame in that. They didn't even realize that they were naked. But when the presence of God lifted, when they stepped out of it, how many know shame stepped in? Sometimes you find the remedy in the prevention part, don't you? And I'm telling you right now, God is about to clothe us in presence. And I believe what I'm going to share with you today, the Lord has removed the shame from it. It is a hard story at times. It's my story. Some of you have known me for years. I promise most of you have never heard it unless you were in first service. Um, I believe that there is a, before I go there, I believe that there is a mantle and a call coming upon Grace Center in this season that is profound and phenomenal, that the Lord is anointing us to be a fortress for families. In a world where everything seems to be under siege and under attack, I believe the last hope, the last great hope is actually God's first hope for the earth, which is the church. Governments can't figure out crisis on the border. They can't figure out feeding the poor. They can't figure out healing the sick and health care, all of those things, because I believe the answer is actually within the church. And I believe in a world where divorce is just as common or even more common than marriage these days, that, that the Lord has set us as a city, set on a hill, a light that cannot be hidden, saying we will be a fortress for families, that if people are on the rocks, we'll bring them through the place of redemption. And, and I believe with all my heart that the Lord has anointed us for that because of the mantle of restoration and redemption that's on the house. How many know that's a good prophetic word? I believe that we're stepping into that season of the recompense, the restoration, the redemption of all things. I also believe that there are no accidents or coincidence in the spirit, which tells me that everything that God does is on purpose, with purpose and for purpose. I also believe that redemption was never God's plan B. It's always been his plan A. 
a God who is omniscient and knows the end from the beginning, who knows uh, everything about us, knew that when he, but from before he even created Adam and Eve, that they would eat of the fruit, that they would, they would violate the laws of the kingdom, that they would be separated from him because of sin. And I believe that he chose to go through with creation because redemption was always his plan from the beginning. It's very much not just what he did or what he does. It's actually who he is. If I were God, I would do things completely different. Aren't you glad I'm not God? I want to say that throughout my life, I've discovered this, that it's not how you start, but how you finish that counts. And I believe today I'm in a room filled with finishers. I'm in a room filled with finishers. How many know not all of us in the room have been saved our whole life? I certainly haven't been saved my whole life. I've been handsome my whole life, but not saved my whole life. (laughs) Humble as well. Just that's just right. I'm just practicing that. I've got a crazy story of being redeemed from suicide and basically raised from the dead and healed of schizophrenia and and addiction, all of those things. And I'm not ashamed of my story. I actually love my story. But I have a friend, he was visiting with me one time. He just said, David, I don't have a story like you. My story is just really simple. I've just known Jesus my whole life. I thought, that's a great story. What if we all can can, can raise up a generation that my kids, your kids, our grandkids would say, I've known Jesus my whole life. Maintaining their compassion for the lost and their their, their desire to, to reach people and win people to Jesus, but at the same time being confident in the fact that my testimony is that I have known God, I've walked with God, I've been a friend of God my whole life. Could it be that we could be that generation, we could be that church that we could raise up and pouring into that uh, to this generation, teaching them friendship with God? I, I believe that it could. I want to tell you it's not how you start, but how you finish that counts. Some people never start because they're afraid. Some people start right and finish wrong. Then there's some of us like me that I've started wrong, but I'm going to finish right. Amen. And I love what Heidi Baker, my good friend says, she said, the only way you lose is if you quit. Aren't you glad there's no quitters in the room? Aren't you glad that there's no quit in the kingdom? Uh, I believe with all my heart that the Lord is, is really bringing us to the place of being a covenant people, not a contractual people. That's the beauty of the church, isn't it? That, that this, aren't you glad this is not a consumer-driven church? So you may not get what you want, but you'll get what God has for you. That's pretty amazing. Uh, I believe this contracts are based on distrust, right? If I have somebody do work on my house and we sign a contract and... I, it's because I don't trust they're going to do the work and they don't trust me that I'm going to pay them. And so we sign a contract because then there's opportunities to say legal ramifications if you don't do what you're supposed to do. Would you agree with that? But how many know covenant isn't made? It's, it's actually cut, right? It's based on trust because God has never broken a covenant yet. Aren't you glad for a covenant working God, covenant keeping God? And I believe that this is a season of unusual restoration. I have a story to tell you today. Um, it's a hard story to tell. I will preface it with this used to be one of um, my least favorite stories in the Bible. Uh, I found it to be somewhat hard to read. Uh, it made me kind of feel through past times that God was somehow mean and judgmental uh, and not really merciful uh, until I started reading it again over the last few weeks where I'm going to really base the message off of today. To set it up, we're going to, we're going to turn to 2 Samuel 12. I'm going to begin in verse 15. But to set it up for you, it's, um, it's this story. David um, decides to stay home from war. He's tired, he's weary, or just doesn't feel like it. And uh, he sends the men out. And, and it was a time where kings actually went to war. David decides to stay home. And uh, he, you know the story, Bathsheba's bathing on the roof. He, he puts his eyes on her, so I want to have that. And uh, he, he, they have a relationship together. And to cover it all up, he kills her husband on the, on the battlefield. And then Nathan the prophet shows up. And Nathan the prophet says, um, you know, there's this guy who had a lot of sheep. And another guy had one little lammy. And the guy with a lot of sheep took the other guy's lammy. 
and, G- and David said, tell me who it is. This is the inter- new International Day version, okay? Just the, but, but the story's right. And so, you know, he tells this parable to David. David said, tell me who the man is. I'll kill him. I'll have him hung up. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll flog him. I'll take his head off. And um, all of a sudden, the word comes through Nathan, the prophet, to, da- to David, dude, hey, bro, you the man. Uh, and, and David cringes. And the Lord's kind. He shows up in kindness. And he said, I'm not going to take the kingdom from you. You're still going to be king. Um, but the baby that Bathsheba is pregnant with uh, is going to die. And so that's where I'm going to pick up the story in uh, 2 Samuel 12, 15. Then Nathan departed to the house, to his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of the house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor would he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him what the child, that the child is dead? He may do some harm to himself or to us. And when David saw this, that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. And therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he's dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself changed his clothes and he went into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. Then he went to his own house. And when he requested, they set food before him and he ate. Then a servant said to him, what is this you've done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept for I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me, change his mind that the child may live. But now he's dead, so why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him. But he will not return to me. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, went into her and lay with her, so she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him. Allergies in Middle Tennessee, man. It's not in the Bible, it's just on my face. Uh, Now the Lord loved him and he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet again. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. It's a hard story to read, right? I mean, there's, you're like watching Days of Our Lives connected to like The Bachelor, right? I mean, it's, it's don't ever watch either one of those. I, I don't, but right? it's just drama for your mama, right? It's just way too much drama. And, and, and this story is hard to, to read. It's, it's hard to hear. I, I felt like my emotions are on this roller coaster ride. And, and uh, here's why. I'm telling the story today. Uh, before I was born again, before I ever met Molly, uh, I was married in 1995 and uh, I was mentally ill as I share sometimes and uh, bonafide schizophrenic and also uh, really addicted to stuff. And so I was in this series of all, you know, constantly being hospitalized and uh, out again and treated and, and uh, it wasn't a good uh, marriage and I wasn't really a good husband. I, I put no blame, shame uh, on her. Uh, and she left me in one of my hospitalizations. I got a, admitted or committed and uh, she left me, filed for uh, divorce. And I, I ran into her about a year, year and a half later um, uh, before I moved to Florida. And she, she said these words to me, uh, when I left you, I was pregnant and uh, I aborted the baby because I didn't want to have anything that reminded me of you. And um, to me, the, the shame of that, the pain of that, 
Um, I'm a pro-life guy. Even before I was saved, I, I do believe in the sanctity of life. And to me, I felt like that was the impardonable sin. Like, I didn't protect my kid. I, I should have been a better man. All of those things. Uh, it was a horrible thing to, to walk through. It's a hard thing to talk about. Uh, and, and, and so I, you know, just, I buried it. I, I moved to, to Florida and uh, I, I met Molly and uh, Molly had uh, Era, our, our daughter, before I ever met her. And um, we were born again, but we didn't necessarily have, you know, character and we had fallen and she was, uh, you know, we were, you know, uh, having relationships outside of marriage. It, it was, never. and this prophet came Never forget Johnny Barham's his name. He's he's up in age in his eighties now from from Northwest Arkansas, and uh, Bob Jones type, but not as funny and no tracksuit. Um, you know, VO five and Walmart suits and ties. You know, because you're from Arkansas, you gotta sew into Walmart. Uh, and and it wasn't a public thing. It was just as he was praying for people and. Uh, Molly and I were engaged and we were sitting there kind of in a little circle, just me and Molly and, and this dude. And uh, he starts praying in tongues. Uh, uh, Robeson, uh, 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 and he goes, oh no, oh no, no, no. no. You, you never want a prophecy to start out with, oh no. Uh, oh, 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 oh no. But that's how the prophecy started. Oh no. And uh, y'all been being bad. And then he started counting. I was like, don't do that, bro. Like, 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 just tell me what you see, but don't count. Like, so, and then he goes, y'all need to, to get married or break up. And, and, and we were engaged and we knew, but, but shame's a powerful thing, you know? And, um, and we found out shortly, and, and while we're sitting there with him, he goes to her, where's the little girl? And, and Molly said, oh, she's at home, referring to our, our daughter. He said, no, he points to me and says, Where, where's your little girl? And I said, I don't have a little girl. He said, yeah, you do. You have a little girl in heaven. And the Lord wants you to know she's not mad at you. She's actually proud that you're her dad. And uh, she didn't grow up on the earth. I don't know what happened to her, but she grows up in heaven with Jesus. And uh, she's going to know you. And uh, she's part of that great cloud of witness. She's going to cheer you on, boy. And uh, it brought healing to that whole chapter of my life. And... um, we didn't know it at the time we, we got that word, but right around that time, uh, Molly um, was pregnant with Benjamin before we were married. And, and uh, we tried to hide it, really. Again, shame's a powerful thing. And I was this prophetic prodigy, and Molly's working in the, in the preschool. And so we thought we we're going to lose our job, our livelihood. And we, we took 100 pregnancy tests just because we couldn't believe it. And um, every one of them, you know, double lines and all that. And, um, and finally, you can't hide a baby forever. How many know that's true? It's about seven and a half months right here. And uh, it's shrinking. When you, when you got a mouth infection, you can't eat. Listen, I've lost inches. It might have gone from my belly to my butt, but I lost it somewhere. Are you hearing me? Uh, and, and that's just free right now. It has nothing to do with my sermon. You just receive it. Uh, and, um, and, you know, I'm in the age where things are shifting. And... Uh, uh, too much information. Yeah. She's not here to tell me like rabbit trails. So, um, and so we just try to hide and, and, and finally, um, she starts to show. So I go with, to my pastor's um, son because he's the associate and, um, I'm living with my pastor. He's my spiritual dad. And I, I tell the, you know, my friend, the, the associate Len, I, I tell him what happens and he weeps with me and he's like, it's going to be all right. And I'm thinking, okay, thank God. It's going to be all right. This is easier than I thought. And then he says, now you got to go tell dad. I said, no, 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 that's why I told you. And he said, no, if you, I'm going to give you the end of the day to tell dad, if you don't tell him, I'm going to have to tell him, but it'd be better if you told him. And so, uh, every time I saw my pastor that day, I just ran to the other side of the, the room, hidden janitor closets and bathroom stalls. And I uh, just to be honest with you, and uh, I knew that he was always the last person to leave the church. I cleaned the church. And so no matter when I left, he was always still there in the, in the office. So about 11 at night, I, I knew that he'd leave maybe 11, 15, 1130. So I decided to go home uh, and, and I put all of my clothes, all my belongings into a black trash bag because I knew there was only one thing to do with me and that's kick me out. Back then to me, correction was rejection. Anybody ever been there? 
But I learned something, that correction isn't really rejection. The Lord chastises those he loves, which means that he doesn't push me away. He actually draws me close into himself. Uh, and so um, I get home. I put all my stuff in the trash bag. I hear the garage door open a few minutes later. I hear these steps, these footsteps coming up uh, the stairs. First time I ever really heard the footsteps of a father. He knocks on the door, says, um, David, something you need to tell me. I said, no, sir. Uh, I actually tried to fake snore first. Uh, and, um, and he wouldn't relent. And he said, I need to talk to you. Get, get up and come downstairs. And so I came downstairs. I put the black, back, put the black trash bag at the bottom of the landing. And I went into the living room uh, expecting to be not only fired, but kicked out. And uh, I told him the whole truth. And uh, he wept with me. And he said these words, son, I'm, I'm disappointed, but it doesn't change the call or the plan of God on your life. He said, do you love Molly? I said, absolutely. We're engaged. He said, then we're going to make it right. We're going to move up to uh, the wedding and, and, and all of that. And, and uh, he said, here's what I need you to know. Failure's never final where there's a father. And uh, he walked me through this amazing restoration at our wedding. I, I stood up and, and I, I shared what had happened. I just said, before we did our vows, I said, today I'm marrying my best friend. And I, I'm marrying, and uh, we fell in sin. She's pregnant, but I'm not marrying her because she's pregnant. I'm marrying her because I love her. Uh, and the child she's carrying is not going to be an accident or a problem. He's going to be a promise. His name's going to be Benjamin. He'll be the son of my right hand. And um, something happened that day. When I told on myself, the devil had nothing else to say. The second thing that happened is everybody's rumor mills and gossip and all the talk just really ended. And I'm convinced that my amazing son who just completed SOSL year one going into year two was not born into shame, but he was actually born into honor uh, because because I stood up and owned it. And can, can I tell you something? There is a lie from the enemy that says nobody will understand. There is a lie from the enemy that says you're the only one going to do this. If anybody finds out, it's over. And we live in all of these little secret compartments Instead of actually stepping into the place of the truth and having truth set us free. Now, I'm not saying go around telling your stuff. I don't think anybody really can handle your stuff. But once it's a testimony, this is what I say to people. Well, once it's a testimony, then you tell everybody because your testimony becomes a prophecy. If God could save him, he can save me. If God could use him, he can use me. If God could redeem his family, he can redeem me. And something powerful happens when that happens. Listen to the redemption of the story. That There is a process here that I think is really important to note. It's really important. David went through this. I believe whether you're struggling in a marriage or you're struggling in ministry or you failed in some way morally or maybe you're bankrupt or whatever happens in life, there, there is a remedy found in this amazing story of David's life. First thing you do, is you get up. And I'm here to tell you right now, there's about to be a holy uprising in Grace Center and in the body of Christ. That we're not going to stay buried or in the place of surrounded by our grave clothes and ashes on the floor, weeping about things we cannot change. There, there comes a point where you just realize, hey, my destiny's not on the ground anymore. I'm getting up. I am, I am stepping up. I'm standing up. I am rising up out of this trash bin. I'm rising up out of, out of this, out of the ashes. I'm rising up out of my mess. And some of you right now, I'm telling you, all over this region, God is raising people up, causing people to stand up again. I realize something that sometimes, man, God wants to set you free. He saves you, he washes you. But what we keep, we keep that old grave clothes on, don't we? And I'm just telling you right now, some of you, that stuff is being unwrapped from you. That thing that's held you down, that thing that you apologize over and over again, that's kept you on the ground. God is raising you up again. First thing he did was he got up. Some of you today, prophetically, God's calling you to, to get up. To get up from the floor. Second thing he did is he washed himself. He washed off all the stench of failure. He washed off all the stench of things he couldn't change, all the shame, all the fear, all of that. He just, he, he washed it all off. 
Some of you right now, there is a great washing uh, by the blood of Jesus. There is a great fountain of the Spirit of God getting ready to wash over this place like a waterfall. I'm telling you, I'm convinced of it. Then he did something. He anointed himself again. He reminded himself, that's not who I am. This is who I am. And he began to put that fragrance on. I think it reminded him of when Samuel found him taking care of his, his father's sheep. And that horn of oil was poured over his head. And he smelt like the presence of God. He smelt like that, 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 that incense. And I think he went back on memory lane. Okay, I missed it, but I'm still the king. And some of you right now, there is a fresh anointing coming over you. The very scent of your life is going to begin to change. The very scent of our lives is beginning to change. Then he did something else. He got dressed. He put the mantle back on. There's some people in the room today. You've been in hiding, whether it's been for 20 years or 10 years, or five years or a week. Or... You feel like somehow you lost the mantle. I'll tell you something. It's time to pick it up because God knows exactly where you left it. I was talking to a little girl, 16-year-old girl who was pregnant a few months ago. And I was talking to her. The Lord was so gracious, merciful to her. She said, you know, when this happened, I thought I was going to have to go all the way back to the beginning. And then Jesus spoke to me. He said, I didn't have to go back to the beginning. I just had to go to him. Pretty powerful. She went back to him. She found that place. Hey, the callings and the giftings of God are without repentance. Am I justifying any sin? Absolutely, positively not. But can I tell you something? I am against self-pity, self-loathing, self-punishment, where we, we, we actually say that God can't do this and he can't use me as if we know something better than him. The greatest thing you have is your story. And if you've got a redemptive story, you should need to shout it from the rooftops so that the whole world can hear it. Because on the other side of it is his glory. There's glory on your story. There's glory on the stuff you went through. He doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste a tear. Doesn't waste a prayer. Doesn't waste a prophecy. Doesn't waste a calling. As I sat with Chester and Betsy a couple of weeks ago, I went on this crazy, amazing journey where I found that I buried pieces of my heart with the people that I buried over the last few years. Buried self-worth over here. Buried... Faith over here and faith to raise the dead over here. And, and I went back and I found all of those things because God is a great keeper of records. There's some of you right now, you, you, you've planted peace of your, of your heart and said it's over because of this divorce. It's over because I fell here. It's over because I thought this here. And I break the lie off of you. God knows exactly wherever peace is and he knows where your mantle is. And it's time to pick it up and put it back on because failure is never final where there's a father. I'm convinced of it. I am convinced of it, but I like the story. He anoints himself. He puts the mantle back on. And then he does something. He steps back into purpose. He didn't even wait for somebody to tell him he could. He just went in and said, you know what? I'm stepping into what I was created for. I'm stepping into my what? I'm stepping into my now. I'm stepping into the promises of God. And he went back into the presence of the Lord, into the house of God, and he worshiped. Because in his presence is fullness of joy. In his presence, shame can't exist. In his presence, failure isn't even in the room anymore. He, he found him innocent as far as the east is from the west. He separated transgression from him. And he didn't end there. He went back to his own house. Just think about this for a moment. He goes back into his own house and he comforts Bathsheba, his wife. He honors her. She's no longer the harlot. She's no longer the homewrecker. She's no longer the widow of a murdered husband. She's no longer the, 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 the mother of this dead son. She, she is now the, the wife of the king, which as far as I know, makes her a queen. And her honor is restored and her dignity is restored. And here's the beauty of it. All the other were given to him, but he chose Bathsheba. And I believe he didn't just choose her, but he wanted her. The Bible says that, she, that they, they came together, they lay together, 
She got pregnant again with a son. His name was Solomon. Here's the redemptive nature of God. Solomon means peace, unbroken and whole. Talk about the redemption of God. Prophet shows up, the same prophet who who shows up and convicts him, shows up to bless him. And he sees the baby and he's filled with joy and glee. Sees this young baby Solomon. Can you imagine this eight days old being dedicated? And he lifts him up and he said, you named him Solomon, but the Lord calls him Jedidiah, the beloved of Jehovah. Talk about redemption. Talk about the beauty of the Lord. Talk about the goodness of God. Some believe Solomon penned these words in Proverbs 31, beginning in verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman or a virtuous wife? For her worth is far value, far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Goes on to all of this stuff. and She's like the merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provided, uh, provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservant. She considers a field, buys it from her prophet. She plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good. Now, if this were a woman's conference, it would preach a whole lot better. Here, here's what she's saying. I ain't how I used to be. Honey, this merchandise is good. She's saying, you know what? I am beautiful. I am valuable. I am priceless. I know who I am. My actions don't define me. My identity defines me. And she perceives, she perceives that her merchandise is good. And I'm here to tell you right now that God is about to cause you to see the value that's on you like, like never before. You're about to see the priceless nature of God begin to possess you and surround you goes on to all of these great attributes. At the end, it says her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel uh, them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the works of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. I love this, that these would be the words that she's remembered by. beautiful, isn't it? She's not known for all the stuff on the rooftop. She's known for the beauty that God finds in her heart. Listen to these words. Acts 13, 22. Still talking about David. God himself, he raised up from David as king. To him also, he gave testimony. Gave a testimony. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. It's beautiful, isn't it? Here's what I love about it. God had the first word over your life, and he has the last word over your life. Because he had David's first word and his last word and Bathsheba's first word and last word, it really doesn't matter what people talked about in the middle. A man after my own heart will do all my will. Said of David that he fulfilled the purposes of God in his generation. To me, it didn't get any better than that. Growing up in a religious system, and if you preach kingdom come and the judgment seat of Christ and judgment day and all that, man, I thought the Lord was like this mean old Santa Claus who got rid of the good list and just kept the naughty list. Now you're going to answer for this, 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 and this, and this. Anybody ever been there? And I had this visitation of the Lord not too long ago. And he said, you want to know what judgment day really is? And Part of me wanted to say no, and part of me really wanted to say yes. And so I said yes, even though I wanted to say no. Uh, I knew what he was asking was going to be good. And he said, there's going to be two movies that day. One movie's going to be all the stuff you did. The other one's going to be all the stuff you could have done. I thought that was pretty cool. Then I got this revelation. When, uh, when Benjamin was born, 
he started walking really early in life. He was about eight months when he started walking. Uh, you know him as sweet and innocent and humble and meek and all that stuff, which he is. But he, he, at two years old and eight months old, he was into everything. He, would, he climbed up on the table on his, uh, on his first birthday and put his face in the cake. And it was, it was great. I loved it. Molly, not so much, but beautiful. Back to my point. When he started walking at eight months old, he, he would stand there. He'd push himself up on this coffee table and he would stand there. And that was before, you know, cell phone cameras, right? So it'd be, go get the video quarter, go get the video camera. You know, it's this big Panasonic thing that you needed to be a weightlifter to hold up, right? You, you look through this thing. This is 1999, y'all, right? 2000. And you're, you're holding up like this and, 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 and he'd stand there and he'd maybe take a step, but he fell. And you shut the camera off. And, and the thing was, you didn't say he stood and fell. You say he, he started walking. A little while later, he'd take two steps and fall. And you say he, he's walking, but he did more falling than walking. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, that's the book of your life. He said, you don't remember the falling part. You only remember the walking part. And here's what it says about David Wagner. And he walked and he walked and he walked. And he walked and he walked and he walked with no mention of my falling. It's the beauty of the mercy and the power of God. He had the first word and he'll have the last word. Dave, why are you sharing all of this stuff? Well, I believe it's important. Because whether you are the holiest person in the room, there's this tendency in human nature to look over our shoulders think that something from our past is going to catch up to us. I spent a lot of my time looking for somebody's daddy, somebody's boyfriend, somebody's something to come and find me. Something I've done to catch up to me. But I've discovered something recently. Every time I turn my shoulder and look back, there's just two things following me. It's goodness and mercy. Because Psalm 23 verse 6 says, surely goodness and mercy will follow all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So when I'm having a good day, I got goodness and mercy following me. When I had a bad day, I've got goodness and mercy following me. Sometimes I just need to stop and let it catch up. (laughs) Are you hearing me? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the testimony that God's given me because I believe that, that the power of God is in the room today. Maybe you don't need to hear this message, but somebody around you does. I believe whether you can relate to it or not, I believe that there's a, it's a prophetic nature to it. Some of you are about to get up. Some of you are about to wash off. Some of you are about to anoint yourself again. Some of you are about to get dressed. Some of you are about to move on to something new. Here's my, my, my stepdad's favorite verse. I believe it applies to this message. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Can I tell you something? Over this almost 48 years of life, he's worked all things together for my good. Every hard day, every bad day, every sad day, every place of loss, every place of failure, he's worked together for my good. And I'm here to tell you that today God's working some things. It may be behind the scenes. You may not see it. You may not feel it. You may not even like it. But some things are being worked out for your good and his glory in this place today. So I close one more funny parting story. We moved here on uh, July 19th of 2018, about a year ago. Finally, in, uh, in January, I decided I like it enough. Maybe I'd stay and make it official. So I, uh, I decided to go get my Tennessee driver's license. When I showed up at the DMV on Carruthers, I walked in and you, know, you give them the Florida license. They're supposed to give you a Tennessee license and you're supposed to be out the door pretty good. And uh, I walked in and uh, I handed them the license and thought I was going to get my picture made. And they're going to like, wow, we need to frame this in the office. But uh, <laughs> Some of you are laughing a little too hard on that one. Um, I walk in, they, they say, I can't give you one. 
I said, why? They said, well, first thing is um, you got a warrant for your arrest in Wisconsin. And they pull it up. It says uh, January 11th, 1997, disorderly conduct. I said, are you going to lock me up? He said, no, they won't extradite you from here, but you should probably pay that. So I just got on my phone, paid it right away, made it go away. And they, and they said, your license is suspended uh, in Wisconsin. I said, well, how can that be? You know, Florida. They said, well, evidently Florida doesn't talk to Wisconsin, but we talked to everybody in Tennessee. <laughs> I don't know if that's prophetic or not. I hope not. But, uh, and, and, and so... So they give me the number. I call the state of Wisconsin. They say, yeah, you know, from your DUI charge, you got to go through a drug and alcohol assessment. And then he makes, a, uh, you know, he makes kind of his recommendations and then you pay $60 reinstatement fee and all that. So I make this appointment here in town. I go sit with a guy, I fill out the paperwork and the guy literally starts crying, reading the paperwork. Like this is from 22 years ago. And, um, and he starts crying, but he doesn't feel that bad. He still takes my 300 bucks. Uh, and, and, and in the midst of the tears, you know, we're talking and, and he, you know, starts crying again. He goes, I hate to do this to you, David, but you're going to actually uh, have to go through a DUI school because uh, I've just seen it too many times. Wisconsin won't release unless you go to a DUI school and Tennessee wouldn't receive you unless you went through a DUI school. So I said, great, sign me up another 300 bucks. And so Valentine's Day weekend, of, uh, of 2019, I was enrolled in school, uh, DUI school in, in Franklin, Tennessee. And uh, my, my amazing son, Benjamin, who's SOSL student, had just come through honor week and you know, he's, uh, he's blessing me. Dad, I'm so proud of you. You're such a man of integrity. Thank you for going through this process. And I just know God's going to use you, dad. You're going to get a word of knowledge for everybody in the room. You're going to be like the dad of the school and he's blessing me. And I'm thinking, yes, this is going to be amazing. Then my 17 year old, who's all prophet goes, my dad's a convict. (laughs) Now, and they're driving me. They actually make me sit in the back seat because they both have licenses and evidently I don't. So, so, okay, we're, we're, we're going to school. He says, so my dad's a convict. And he goes, and I'm sure dad, somebody from Grace Center is probably going to drive by when you're walking through into DUI school, honk and wave at you. And, and uh, maybe you saw me, maybe you didn't. I don't, I don't know. Uh, if you saw somebody handsome and humble walking in, that's probably me. Uh, sure enough, I walk in, there's a guy leading the, the school. His name is Jimmy. He had all kinds of jail tattoos, been to prison, I don't know, 28 times and been sober for 18 years. He's telling bad dad jokes from the beginning, like, I'm allergic to alcohol. Uh, every time I drink, I break out in handcuffs, you know, and I, and like goodness and mercy and bad dad jokes will follow me all the days of my life. And sure enough, I sit next to this kid and his name's Cameron. He's 24. And, um, I look at him and the Lord gives me this prophetic word for him. He said, tell him I believe in him and that he's not a screw up. So I just said, Cameron, I don't know what this means, man, but, you know, I just want you to know I believe in you and you're not a screw up. He begins to weep and he said, "Uh, the day my dad found out my mom was pregnant with me, he said, this kid's going to screw up my life, except he didn't say screw up my life. He said something worse. He said, my 24 years, my dad's never called me Cameron, never called me son. He's just called me screw up. So if he doesn't use the word screw up every day of my life. And the Lord had the first word. And the Lord will have the last word. And it doesn't really matter anymore what's spoken in between. So I hung out in the smoking circle by the Keurig coffee pot. And I got to be the pastor and the dad of the class. Ministered to 26 people I would have never had access to. You may, say my, you may be saying, well, your past caught up to you. Mm-mm. Goodness and mercy brought me into DUI school. And I said to him, I said, I said man, I, let me ask you a question at the end. 
Graduated, by the way. Tennessee driver. Haircuts by scouts. Okay, now. And uh, listen, it could have been humiliating. It could have been really humiliating. But really what it was was humbling and honoring. I've asked the guy, I said, um, let me ask you a question. I'd like to come back to school. Not the first way I came in. But I'd like to pay 300 bucks. I'm out of town a lot, but if I ever get a chance and you're doing school while I'm in town, I'd like to pay my 300 bucks and come sit through another class. The guy started weeping and he said, what if every pastor in Franklin would do that? He said, I, I bet you would, we would find out who we're not reaching. You know what I found? 26 broken people. He just needed to know God loved him. In spite of their addiction and their mess, they could walk out with their heads held high. Goodness and mercy following them. Not glamorizing or glorifying my past. Sure, I'm glad he's the God of my past. My present, my future. Sure glad my past couldn't keep me from my, from my future or from the promise of God in my life. Today in this room, I've done my best. And wow, I'm getting out by one. That's really miraculous. Jesus could come back today, y'all. Um, don't laugh too hard, AJ. You don't want him to come back before you get to Canada. Uh, maybe you do. That'd be pretty cool. See you ascend over Franklin and Toronto. That'd be awesome. But that's another message. Well, if he came back, that'd be probably awesome. We all go together. Yeah. Here's, here's, what I, here's what I believe. That today, this is more than just a good story or a nice message. I believe it's a prophetic word. Maybe you don't want to receive it for you, but receive it for somebody you know. Because I guarantee you can relate to somebody that connected this story. So, Father, I thank you right now for my friends, for this amazing church, for what you're doing in your kingdom. But I'm so humbled and honored that you picked me up from the miry clay. But I'm so honored that, Lord, you brought me out of darkness into the glorious light. But I'm thankful that you've been present in every failure and every triumph. But I'm thankful that you wouldn't let me stay down, but you caused me to get up again. Lord, I believe you want to do miracles in the room today. And maybe some of those miracles are miracles that nobody can see taking place on the inside. Lord, I pray every word from you today takes root and bears fruit, but every word, if I got in the way, Lord, I pray that you would cause it Lord, to just fall to the ground and be forgotten. Lord, I pray right now in this room, you would shine your light. You would invade every place and crevice of our life. Lord, if there's people here today that don't know you or find themselves away from you outside your presence, but I pray that, Lord, today you would make yourself known to them. You would reveal your loving kindness, compassion, mercy, and goodness to them. That you would woo them to who you are, Jesus. So we close this morning. I'm going to say, everybody, close your eyes and bow your heads. I never want to miss a moment for somebody to come to know my best friend, Jesus, because he's been good to me. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus as your own personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you find yourself just on the fence or feeling like you're separated from from God today. Some would call it backslidden. 
Today would be a great day to give your life to Jesus or come back to him. My promise is this. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I do want to pray for you. If you're here, you said, I've never made Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life, but I want to. I want to know him like you know him, David. I want to be washed in his blood. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to know that if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven and be with him for eternity. David, I want that more than anything. I want you to pray for me that I can know Jesus today or come back to him today. I'm not going to embarrass you. just want to pray for you. Anybody in the room, if that's you. Dave, include me in that prayer. I want, to, I want to come to Jesus today. I want to come back to him. I just want you to lift your hand up. You put it right back down. Every eyes closed, every head bowed. Anybody in the room today? Well, Father, I thank you right now, Lord, for being your sons and your daughters, the children of God. But I ask that, Lord, you would come, that you would move in our hearts today, that you would pour out your spirit upon us. As we close this service out, maybe today you're coming out of a difficult season. Maybe you're coming out of that place where you need to take the grave clothes off and you need to get up. Maybe you need to wash yourself off. Maybe you need to anoint yourself again. Maybe you need to get dressed, put that mantle back on and step back into your purpose, into the house of God, in the presence of the Lord. And discover that fullness of joy. Maybe you're here today and you need to know that, man, there's glory on your story, that God can redeem and restore everything. We're going to be here for a while. We're going to have the ministry team come. We're going to pray for you. Um, but Father, I ask right now that, Lord, every revelation requires a response. And Lord, I pray, whether it be the, the quiet of their own hearts or a prophetic act of standing up or receiving prayer later, that Lord, that you would use this message to change and transform our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.